This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, the college hoop season is over, and it's time to get back to the NBA. So we'll be chatting about the Golden State Warriors with somebody who knows the team inside and out. But first, Darlene, get us started. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. <laughs> His partner is Otto Strong, a man who's covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Welcome to Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Otto Strong, along with my partner, Aaron Berlin. What's going on, A.B.? So, Otto, I, I have to tell you, I'm good, by the way. I was doing some spring cleaning this, this weekend, and I was kind of like trudging through some of my old clothes, you know, just throwing out, trying to go through a pile. And I forgot, I talked about this shirt on the show a while ago. Yes. We the South shirt. And I finally found it. This is the first time I've worn it. And I've had this thing since, I don't know, probably November. And so I was like, I have to break this out for today's show because everyone's been wondering what happened to this shirt. Here it is. I still have so, it. And so I magically is, still fit into it. So <laughs> no, no, no COVID pounds? <laughs> no COVID pounds for me, but I am a half vaccinated human. I'm oh. not a full vaccinated person. I am a half vaccinated person. Congratulations. Um, uh, so how did it go? The vaccination or the shirt? Well, the, the shirt fits fine. It's a little snug. But. <laughs> of course, yeah, you know, <laughs> got them, got them guns. You gotta, you gotta be showing off. Um, so, I mean, any, any side effects? The only side effects I had, and uh, full disclosure, I am now a member of the Moderna family. You know? Okay. Not the modern family, the Moderna family. Yes. Uh, but I had a little bit of soreness in my arm. They told me that was going to happen. I had some body aches, you know, like my legs, a little bit on the arm that I did not get shot in. But other than that, you know, within 12 hours, I was completely fine. Yeah, look, we're going to talk about a whole lot of hoops, but but since you mentioned it, um, you know, it does bear discussion. The Johnson and Johnson shot, uh, there are conversations to pull that one. Uh, I think the CDC is recommending, along with at least one other agency, I believe, because there have been, and again, don't just take our word for it. You should do your own research, but believe it, believe to have possibly be connected to blood clots um, and some people have gotten seriously uh, ill, sick, and even uh, possibly died. I believe the other agency is the FDA. Yeah, uh, and the but, number I saw on that was yeah. like six out of millions of people. Of, of course, of course. Right. But, but again, you know, information is power and we just want people to know, um, you know, what they're getting themselves into. And so, you know, definitely get the shot. Like I got, you know, uh, Pfizer one, two weeks ago, I'm gonna get Pfizer two, you know, in a week. But with respect to that shot, you know, just, just some information out there for folks who, who may need to know. Just but, think um, pretty soon, we're going to be two vaccinated members of the Catch and Shoot podcast. Yeah. We, we, Fully maybe, vaccinated people. Yeah. Cat, catch and Vaxxed 2.0? Is, <laughs> is that what we'll have to call it? I all love right. it. I love it. So, all right. So, hoops. Like, we have so much to, to, to get to. And, and um, our guest uh, that we're going to get to, uh, his name is Anthony Slater, who covers the Golden State Warriors. Uh, for, for the for the uh, for the athletic as a senior writer, but I I, I kind of want to jump the shark a little bit and ask you uh, your thoughts and your opinions on Steph Curry passing uh, Will Chamberlain. It just sounds crazy to say on yeah. on the on the on the uh, on the Warriors all time scoring list. So so it's incredibly timely for the topic that we have today. But I saw the world's perfect tweet about this earlier today, and it kind it came from none other than Mr. Michael Lee who is one of my favorite NBA Twitter followers or Twitter follows. If yep. you guys are not following him, do it. He's a Kansas City guy. He is one of the best knowledge sources for the NBA. But he said, every time we mention someone passing Wilt Chamberlain, we should have a greater appreciation for what Wilt Chamberlain did. 
you know, and, and he said this, and uh, I have not checked this, but I'm, you know, anything Mr. Michael Lee puts out, I'm trusting. He's that yep. good. Yep. He said Steph Curry did this in over 700 career NBA games. Yep. Wilt Chamberlain did it in over 400. Yep. So think yep. about that. 300 more games with the three-point line. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And look, uh, another way to say it is that Curry did it in his 12th season and Wilt did it in his sixth, <laughs> which, which is like, <laughs> is there anything else you need to say? Yeah, I, I mean, it just makes me so happy that Wilt Chamberlain decided to play his college basketball at the University of Kansas. <laughs> you know, n- not that everything should circle back to, to Jayhawkland. Oh, but, but how, how often it does. <laughs> absolutely. You know, we got Wilt Chamberlain and Joel Embiid and the truth, Paul Pierce. That's all we need. That's all uh, we need. You, you, you might want to kick that last one back. <laughs> you might want to throw that last one back in the pond, you know. It's not a good <laughs> time to be that. Not a good time to be the truth. And, yeah. Well, yeah, and for those who don't know, no, you can Google that. <laughs> Get all you need to know there. But but hey, but since since we're you know a lot happened in that game. Obviously, you know Steph went off fifty three points. Uh, the Warriors got a much needed win over over a Denver Nuggets squad that um, uh, it was dealt a huge blow in the last minute of the game. Jamal Murray goes down with with uh, with an injury that it turns out to be a torn ACL, and that's one of those devastating. You know, looking at obviously the you know not coming back this season and deep into next season, we I mean, where does Denver go from here? That, that's the tough thing, right? Because you, you know we talked about the NBA trade deadline a few weeks ago, and their acquisition of Aaron Gordon was kind of a calculated move for them of pushing their chips into the center of the table and building a roster that I thought could win an NBA championship. I didn't know if it was going to happen this year, but I thought the pieces, if they all came together with the way they can play defense with their offensive efficiency, I thought it was for sure a team that could go far in the Western Conference playoffs. Without Jamal Murray, I don't know how that happens. Aaron Gordon is not a big enough scorer. Jokic can't carry the load himself. And so they go from a team that could easily be in the Western Conference Finals and feel good about that selection to a team that, you know, maybe gets to the Western Conference semifinals, but it's a huge blow to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another, um, you know, obviously there was an, another injury that occurred a couple of days earlier uh, with regard to the Warriors. You know, not that game, but the Warriors on Saturday lost um, uh, James Weissman. Um, and that was I mean look Warriors were not a team I mean I'm not trying to put it on the same on the same scale they were not a team that was going to make the Western Conference Finals but it's you know another injury to uh you know a, a younger player rising player you know he's a rookie it's so, another injury yeah. to a Warriors team that's been decimated by yeah over yeah the last few years I mean not only the first injury to Clay but the second injury before the start of the season and then to lose a player that they view as a member of their core moving forward I mean there was already conversations about was he getting enough minutes in a rookie season where, you know, this team clearly is in a championship level caliber, but next year when, when clay comes back, right. If clay is the clay that we know that he is, who's the shooter that he is, who's the playmaker that he is, then they absolutely could be in that conversation. But now it almost, it, it almost stunts what their ceiling could be. Right, right. Do, I mean, do you feel, uh, and maybe this is a, a loaded question, or maybe not even fair. Do you feel like this is the part? This is the time when, when all of the games and the and the, the shortened off season obviously wouldn't have had anything to do with with the rookie and the injury to Wiseman, who's a rookie. But do you feel like that's in some way starting to show? You know, it's like the downside of the short, the you know, the the um, um, the shortened off season. 100%. There was not enough time for players to rest their bodies. I mean, look, the, the older era of NBA players will complain about the fact that today's young guys, you know, who, who they view as soft players, take games off for rest. But it's proven that they do that so that they can play in the playoffs and they can be a part of the NBA's grandest stage. But when you have a condensed off season that was – what was it? A little over two months. You know, I think uh, the bubble championship was in October and they started yeah. at the end of December. So it, it was just over two months. 
as opposed to a five-month off-season where these athletes traditionally not only take time off after the season, but then they start to ramp up their workouts. You know, like there's no, there, there's no way around it. Like these injuries are clearly happening one because of the wear and tear on these players' bodies, the shortened games that they had in the bubble, the condensed schedule there. And then the need to play almost a full slate of games this year, you know, you know, why was that decision made? Why couldn't they do something like what major league baseball did last summer, right? When they were having issues with their players association, just trying to find a way to formulate a schedule, they said, what we're going to do, we're going to play, a sprint to a playoff, right? We did 60 games. That was enough. We're not going to tax our players and we're going to give them a traditional offseason. I don't understand why the NBA couldn't do that. And, and I get part of it is because TV money and the need for some of these teams to recuperate some of the gate that was lost last year. But this is the downside to it, right? LeBron's not playing right now because he has an injury. Anthony Davis has had an injury. So the Lakers are a shell of what they should be. Right. And you don't know. I mean, there's reports that they're coming back, but you don't know how healthy they're going to be when the playoffs do come around. Yeah. What do you think? Well, well, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, the other thing is you, you can't say that, that uh, I mean, the other side of the coin is that every injury is not because there was only a two-month you know, offseason. Sometimes you just come down weird, and it would have, you, you know, you guys come down weird when they have five months off, and they come down weird when they have five days oh, off. Oh, oh, okay, but here's, here's the thing. I play softball every Monday, right? I know, and I'm, I'm 31 years old. I know that the Tuesday after I play softball, I'm going to have a sore knee. And it's going to take me two or three days just to recover from that sore knee. Now imagine you're a world-class athlete who's playing four games a week, who's traveling. And granted, you're getting some of the best medical care. You're still going to be sore. You're still going to hurt. And those ligaments and, you know, those muscles that are used to having a very routine schedule, that's going to affect them in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No, like I, I, I definitely agree. And as someone who is uh, a little bit older, <laughs> I could, I could definitely agree with you on that. Um, so we're gonna kind of do a slight, a slight pivot here. Um, Monday night, Mavs, Mavs playing, um, playing the Sixers, lose the game. But uh, Luke was asked a question about the playing game, and he, and the, the response was that he didn't kind of get the the the, the playing game format and didn't didn't understand it. Cuban, then Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, a day later, uh, Tuesday, and we're taping on Tuesday. We've said this before, but we're taping on Tuesday and later on Wednesday. Um, basically, uh, took Lucas back, had Lucas back, and said, "Yeah, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, wh why are we doing this?" And so, I mean, there there are a couple of things. I mean, there's uh, we'll talk about the injury part first. Um, you know, so the, so the plan requires. You know, what it'll mean, I should say, well, ten teams are going to make from each conference are going to make the playoffs which means you want to be, obviously you want to be at least number 10. But uh, for those who don't know, if you get to six or better, you get a basically a, a buy out of this little play in you know, tournament. So you've got teams anywhere from like, depending on how tight the race is, from four to 12, who are all kind of in this scrum to try to either get in or get out of the play in uh, situation, depending where you're at. And so at a, you know, and we're still, we're talking about, taxing players and you know, yeah. the 72 game seasons. So now you're looking at a situation where, yeah, you may have exciting basketball and I guess what will be, you know, May, but are you going to, are you going to lose guys at, at that time and who then won't be available to play in the four, uh, you know, the four rounds of the playoffs that'll, you know, go into, <laughs> into next December or whatever. You know? <laughs> so, so I'm traditionally a proponent of, I enjoy more like, you know, the, the NCAA tournament, if they gave me another round of first-round games, I would be about it. Like, like, if they went from 68 to, what is it, 96, whatever the next progression would be, I would love it. If the NFL gave me another regular season game, which they have this year, and another playoff game, I'm ecstatic because it's more football, and I only get it in a very condensed amount of time. This, I, I am not a proponent for at all, Otto. One, because the NBA playoffs are already so goddamn long, right? Like, to, to be honest, these first-round series that go seven games, I don't need it. I know who's going to win that series in the first 
four or five games. You know, like the, the fact that they're making, what is it? You usually get that four or five game and that's one that goes six, maybe seven games. And the others are all done by like four or five. It's, it's absurd. And it just seems that like, we already have such a discrepancy between the top teams in the league and, you know, kind of the middling teams that are just trying to get to 500. And I don't need to watch a team just try and get into a first round game. But mm. if you're going to do this, why not do it like the NCAA tournament? Not, not one and done per se, but just to let all 30 get in and then have the teams that are outside of the top 16 play like a one-off game in a bracket format just to get in. Mm. That, that sounds so much more interesting to me than having these teams battle it out seven through 10. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, Cuban has suggested, uh, Hey, what if there's a, a one to 10 or a one to 20? And so just real quick, if it was one to 20, that would mean the Utah jazz number one would play the New Orleans Pelicans at, at number 20. And it would also mean just a couple of others, Dallas, Atlanta for your 10-11. Ooh. And Philly, Golden State for your... Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty good. For your 318. Um, I really like that Hawks and Mavs matchup. I know you would. <laughs> know you would. <laughs> Just because you get Luka and you get Trey. And you get, you know, obviously the storyline of the Hawks didn't want Luka. They wanted Trey. So they traded back. And that's, yeah. you know, Trey's been good. Not yeah. Luka, though. Nobody's Luca. Well, hey, exactly. But hey, ready to talk some uh, some uh, Warriors hoop? Let's do it. Joining us to talk about all things going on with the Golden State Warriors is our man who covers, or the man who covers the team for the Athletic, I should say, senior writer Anthony Slater. Anthony, how's it going? Very well. You know, it's the uh, digital season. So we're on Zoom and I've been on Zoom, you know, all year, post-game press conferences, pre-game. It's a weird year, but uh, it's it's been interesting. You, you feel like we're going to have need to have a Zoom highlight reel of all of all, of, all, of all the reporters' highlights? Or, or is this just going to be, we're just going to put this in the vault and forget about it? Well, Twitter has become the highlight reel uh, of all right. that. But uh, in general, I hope we can put it in the rear view at least soon next season. I feel, I, I feel the optimism uh, cool. that we might be on event levels of NBA arenas pretty soon. Cool. I, I am. To I'm totally with you there. Okay. So Monday night, Steph Curry becomes the Warriors all time leading scorer. Um, drops 53 points. Still obviously doesn't style as only Steph can. <laughs> uh, Anthony, tell us like, what was the moment like? What was, what was uh, you know, Steph's place in history? Tell us. Yeah. Tell us it all. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny because with a moment like this that you know is coming weeks in advance, um, you know, you set up different, uh, you know, news items to drop. And, and you know, Marcus Thompson, my coworker, had a story that we were going to publish when it happened. We had a more of like a breaking news item that was like, you know, breaking down the moment. What does it mean for Steph and the franchise, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, all right, he needs 19 points, probably think a third quarter, you know, and <laughs> 10 minutes. I think there was like 130 left in the first quarter. And you knew it early. It was like three, 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 and he had nine already. You're like, oh, he's ten away, and there's like still eight minutes left in the first quarter. And and you also know with Steph when he has three threes early, like this is going to be a huge night. And yeah, he had I think he had twenty one in the first quarter, um, which in some ways was nice to just get that drama out of the way early because it was still kind of an important game for them. You know, they're they're trying to claw their way. Um, you know, into better play in positioning. Uh, the Nuggets were in town, which was was kind of the highlight of the homestand. And, you know, at least the funny thing is at halftime he had 30 and they're down five because it's been the problem all season. The, the bench is not playing well. I think they had one of eight shooting and three points while Steph had 30 points at half. But stabilized in the third quarter, he has 53. They get a nice win. And when you get a nice win, you get more of a celebratory post game, uh, which included he came in to the post game with like the number behind him. Chris Mullen was on the post game Zoom and like, delivered a congratulations message from like former players it was it was definitely a cool moment for him and uh you know anytime you're beating Wilt Chamberlain and any type of scoring record is pretty impressive that, that, exa exactly and, you know I think what, what happens in moments like this you know you you go back you look at the records and okay you know pass you know, if it was any other guy you know step passes someone on the list but passes a guy who scored 
you know, average per game, 41.5. I mean, what Steph did scoring-wise in 12 seasons, Will did in six seasons. Yeah, I, mean, I saw that. It's just crazy. Yeah, I saw that stat last night, and it was like, I think it, it put the games up, like how many games it took mm-hmm. uh, to get to the number. Like, Steph was 700, like 20-something, yeah. which, you know, it, it was high points per game. You know, his is quite impressive itself, but it was like next to Will. I think it was in the 400s, like maybe low 400s. It was like 41.5 points per game. That's just, I, I can't even fathom something. And that's the funny thing about Will. Like, all we remember Steph is as a warrior. It's 12 seasons, only there. He's probably only going to play yeah, there. Yeah. Will, like, the Warriors are just like a little subsection <laughs> right. of his history. And, and, I mean, he held off Steph Curry for 12 seasons. That just shows you just what he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any personal anecdotes about, about Steph? Just, just kind of either off of the, the, the moment or, or, or stuff that has kind of, you know, led up to, led up to this moment? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, he, so I used to cover the Thunder. Um and he was like by the end by the end of the durant era which is what i covered the end of the durant era uh he was kind of the the he was on the rival team that really kind of you know threw the final dagger in the warriors heart i can remember being you know five feet away basically they put us on the scores table in oklahoma city from that 40 foot game winning dagger which was probably the signature moment of that unanimous mvp season and when his uh like the fandom around him was a, a fever pitch yeah and i you know oklahoma city is like a loyal fan base they did not like the warriors generally and like that it was never an arena where you would go in and opposing fans would take it over and i do remember that season when steph was on his run uh there was just tons of little kids in Steph Curry jerseys. I'd never seen so many opposing jerseys in that arena. And then I went to cover the Warriors the next season. Yes, they were the Beatles. They had stars everywhere. The coach is a superstar. Draymond Green, you know, Kevin Durant was now there. Uh, but didn't matter. Every arena you went to, it was just just so many, like, kids between the ages of, like, 8 and 16, all wearing, like, Steph Curry jersey, Under Armour shorts, Steph Curry shoes. And, like, just this uh, generation of kids that age that saw the way he was playing, uh, it, it's, it, it was unbelievable at the time. It, it still remains, but I just do remember it at that time. And I can remember a few times, you know, I'm having a conversation with him, you know, pregame locker room. And, you know, he's as normal a guy as you can meet. And then you're walking out of the tunnel. And the sight of him, like, you know, these kids, like, start shrieking and, like, shaking. It, it, it was weird to be around him and know how normal he is and then you know go into the public environment with him and see like the reactions he would cause uh wow. and it, even to him sometimes it was like this is this is kind of a little weird that that i caused this reaction from people yeah yeah like, I, and i'm going to take a second the second you on that because I, I, for for a number of years i was working basketball beat for espn magazine and on occasion, would get down to to you know a game at the Garden, which is again, as you know, not a place that, that visiting uh, players tend to get a lot of lot of depth. And same thing, kids with the little thirty jerseys and and all of it, and going going bonkers and time to make shots. So so yeah, I, I, I totally get you. I remember one time in New Orleans, we go to a practice, um, and you know it's empty arena, but uh, there's like four kids, all in Steph jerseys, who are like allowed in practice. So I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's Drew Brees' kids. Steph Curry's, <laughs> Steph Curry's like, the, their favorite athlete. And they're all wearing Steph Curry jerseys, just mesmerized by him. I was like, and this is Drew Brees' like, four kids right here. This is, uh, it just shows you kind of the reach he has. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Uh, I know there's a lot to talk about the Warriors, but I want to touch on, on one other thing with, with Steph. So, uh, phenomenal career. Interesting career in that a guy of his stature hasn't actually played for an Olympic team. You know, he played for, played for the FIBA squads that won gold medals in, in 2010 and 2014, but uh, pulled, out of, pulled out of the Brazil games because he got, you know, because he got hurt. So what, what do you think, has he, has he uh, you, you follow him close, more, obviously more closely than we do, is, he, is, he, is that something he's looking to do? Is it something he's looking yeah. to get on the resume? Yeah. He really wanted to do it in 2020. Uh, the bro- I remember, he, so he breaks the hand in what that would have been like November of 2019. Right. And he was really pushing to get back, to get back into the season and get a, get a rhythm again. And like, you know, but at the time, the Warriors had, had crashed out mm-hmm. into the lottery. And he, 
Um, he, but he part of the reason he wanted to get back is he wanted to gain a rhythm because he really wanted to check that box, gold medal, get the experience. It's more than just like go win a gold medal to put it on my resume. It's like, you know, a cool experience to be yep. in the Olympics and to win with USA on your chest. So he really wanted to play in 2020. We all know that never happened. 2020 didn't happen. I do expect him if it's at all possible from a health perspective and just globally possible to even play the games, he's going to try to, to get in. He wants to be on that team. Uh, Steve Kerr's on the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, I know him and Popovich know that, that if Curry can play, he, he will, he'll be one of the signature players on the team. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Uh, uh, last, last Curry question before we, before we uh, talk about other topics. So uh, what do you think is more likely to, that he'll get next? Do you think uh, another NBA title or another MVP? Which one, which one do you think is more likely to happen? Man, um, I don't necessarily think either is that possible. Um, I, this, you know, he's at a, he, he's having an MVP type season this sure. year. They just don't have, they just don't have the uh, capabilities around him and nobody's going to vote him MVP as like a nine seed. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I, I could, I would, I'll say MVP next season would, would seem like maybe his last chance. He is elongating his prime. He's proven to be in enough, you know, physical shape. He's stronger, but really it's the cardiovascular. The guy can run around. I, I, I don't know the tracking stats off the top of my <laughs> head, but I mean, the way he just runs around offensively is uh, unlike anything in the NBA. And I, I don't know that they're going to get back to title. Con- like they'll probably, maybe we'll consider them a fringe title contender next year, but like Clay Thompson off two just massive injuries. Draymond Green's offensive game has declined. Um, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how they reconstruct the roster. If they try to use the Wiseman piece and the Minnesota draft pick to, to get more win now help in, but I could, I'll say MVP to your question because I could see them being, in that like four or five, three, four, five seed mix next season where maybe that doesn't lead to a title, but it's good enough to where if he has just a, a monster productive season, like he's having right now, he's second in the NBA because of this recent scoring binge. He's now over 30 points per game uh, on unbelievable efficiency. That's MVP type stuff if you're in the three, four, five range. And I could see him doing that another season. So I'll go MVP. Okay, cool. I won't hold you to it, or maybe we will. But <laughs> all right. So obviously, a lot of other storylines to talk about with the team. So one of them, um, rookie center James Wiseman, uh, went down with with a knee injury on Saturday. What can you tell us about his uh, his status? Yeah. So meniscus tear um, on the outside of the knee, and they are like you know meniscus is an injury you can kind of treat two ways, uh, and it depends on you know where the tear is on the meniscus. I guess the severity of it. Uh, you know, I'm not a physician, so I can't explain all the complexities of it, but I generally know that you either decide to do it like a trim of the meniscus, um, if that makes sense. And that that's actually a sh- much shorter return timetable. It's like four to six weeks to the point that they haven't officially ruled them out for the season. If they go down that treatment route, um, he, you know, he, I think it would be uh, ill-advised to bring him back, particularly because he's kind of this prized young center that you don't want to throw right back in action. But they want him to have an offseason. This offseason ahead is very important for him. Um, but if they go the, the repair route, I know it's a lot longer. Um, I think it's like f- five months, six months, usually. I mean, complications can arise. And that would probably take him out of summer league, really strip a lot of his offseason away. But they're still, as we're speaking, consulting with a lot of experts before they decide uh, you know, which – uh, treatment plan to go with generally I think they their hope is to have him with a shorter time table just so they can get him back in the gym he needs to do a lot of lower body work strength work skill work and then just they want him to play in summer league to be honest and that might sound small but they really know he needs basketball that's kind of the issue with him missing the final 19 game so you're thinking it's more the smarter play would be shut it down have him have him work through the summer um, than than to try to have him come back for you know it would be like I, I, you know. yeah it'd be like three games on like a minutes restriction and those three games would probably be like the last couple games of the regular season and that's only if they go down this shorter you know recovery path which includes the trim and the meniscus which to be, I think they're just whatever they think is going to be best for him long this is such the long term play for him of course. And because just because of his age and, and they're not winning the title this year, right? He's not coming back for like this, this deep playoff run. He'd be coming back to get 19 developmental minutes per game, something like that. Um, so they'll go with the, with the proper 
safety path. My thing with him, and, and I know the franchise is saying this, is like they really needed a good, productive summer from him. And if half of that summer, if more than half of that summer is spent just rehabbing a knee injury, that's really bad for next season. And next season, they do want to be in the title chase. They do want him to be a winning component. It, like the pressure rises opening night next season, and they want him as ready as possible for that. Hmm. So let's talk about uh, putting the injury aside. Let's talk about his play. Um, what I mean, it's seemed to be, an, uh, from my perspective, an up and down season. How, how would you describe uh, his play this year? No doubt. Um, he, I mean, the flashes are there. He doesn't look like a bust because the, I could, if I showed you a, just a highlight package, you'd never seen James Wiseman. And I'm like, here's two minutes of his best plays this year. You'd be like, this this guy's a superstar already <laughs> like you know like spin moves like hammers he's sealing pascal siakam like dunking on his face he had one block and and coast to coast even though he's seven foot one euro step in detroit that he dunked um just stuff that just absolutely pops off the screen and he's hitting threes you know he's a seven foot one guy that i think's hit something like 11 12 threes including five in his first three nba games um so yeah a lot of potential there but then if you gen if you watch him every single possession it's like it's tons of defensive mistakes uh very foul prone like like normal rookies they honestly i i I think they overburdened him with information and responsibilities on offense early on they almost tried to like force feed him into an andrew bogut type role where he's like you know in the mid post he's making passing reads and like dho's and just stuff he didn't seem to be ready for um and by the end really his last three games which you know adds to the poor timing of the injury he seemed to kind of be turning a corner they they were simplifying his role getting him in the high screen game getting him in a bunch of pick and rolls with Steph Curry and Jordan Poole who was coming off the bench and playing well and he fits that style more he's a more modern player like just high screens rolls he can pop sometimes and shoot the jumper he doesn't have to make a bunch of passes and reads maybe later in his career he can do that um, and if you look at his offensive numbers, they're really good the last three games, including he had a first half double double against the Bucks in a win. Um, but then he goes up for a soaring dunk, hurts the meniscus, and uh, back at square one. But I think in general, it's an incomplete grade on his rookie year. They love the potential, but I think he's a little bit further away than they were hoping from like being who he will become. Hey, all right. So, uh, should should the league outlaw dunks? I mean, at least for the at least for the Warriors. <laughs> the, yeah, I was gonna say the Warriors should outlaw dunks. So you have Clay Thompson in twenty nineteen five uh-huh. has you know the devastating knee injury that you know obviously the Achilles has come later and that wasn't on a dunk, but that sent him down the spiral, right? Right, right. Um, Kelly Oubre has sprained his wrist, wrist twice this season landing on dunks, and um, Marquise Chris early in the season practice dunk broke his lower leg out for the season that was their backup center who they were going to rely on and then this is actually Wiseman's second injury on on a dunk um and and, you know bent the wrist the first time missed 11 games landing on an alley-oop and then now this one and I mean I know it's kind of joking like yeah should they outlaw dunks but it's like you know it's a dangerous style of play uh you know it's it's Blake Griffin in a lot of ways his career um, I would say it has been shortened a little bit because of uh, how explosive he was. So remember, remember the Dwayne Wade uh, fall down seven times, get up eight mm-hmm, early in his mm-hmm, career. Mm-hmm. Remember how early he realized, like, I can't just crash dummy yeah, you know, into nah. my thirties. And I think that's something Wiseman will have to learn. Maybe is learning right now after his rookie season where he's had two pretty bad injuries from, from dunks is, you know, be smart. You know, you don't want to take that aggression away that at the rim aggression, but at the same time, like, if you're just going to go, you know, he really does try to, like, dunk on everybody sometimes. <laughs> and if you do – if you fly in the air 12 times over a four-game stretch, one of the 12 landings might be poor. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's dangerous. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, uh, so as a, as a team, you know, the Warriors have had some some late-game situations uh, where, where things didn't go exactly as, as planned, perhaps. I'm thinking about Friday's game against the Wizards where Bradley Beal – you know, hits a three with, with just seconds remaining. I mean, is, is that something that they – I'm assuming that they're, that's an area that they obviously need to clean up. You know, what, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, it hasn't been good. That, that wasn't even the worst one of the season. Um, I would say that worst one was in Charlotte where their veteran, uh, Draymond Green, got a double technical up two with uh, nine seconds left for arguing a call. Uh, and gifted to game time free throws. I believe the stat from Elias was he was the only player, maybe in history, I think it was, that got two technicals in the final 10 seconds of a one possession game, got ejected, and they, you know, and then Rogier hits. He's not only does he get ejected, give them two game time free throws and possession, 
he's off the floor and he's their best defensive player. And on that next defensive possession, they have a breakdown and Terry Rozier hits the game winner. That was like a stinging loss at the time. They've had a few others that you mentioned. Um, they had a controversial block charge call in Portland that didn't go their way um, in, in a you know pretty significant loss before the All-Star break. They had one in San Antonio where Draymond Green thought he was going to get fouled and like threw up a 40-footer, but uh, Bryn Forbes never fouled them. Uh, I could kind of go down the list. They blew a 17-point lead uh, to Orlando. You mentioned the other night where a Wizards team they should have beat. They're up three with 10 seconds left. They foul Bradley Beal on a, on a three, so and one. They take the lead. And then even after that, Stuker draws up a nice play, gets Damian Lee at the rim. He's, he's sitting there for the game-winning layup, and he passes out and, and turns it over. And um, you could, you know, probably count six should-be wins this season. And, you know, I think in a general season, you may, might have two or three really bad losses. But when you start getting up to five, six, seven, like your record just looks a lot worse than it should be. And to be honest, that that defines their season a bit, where if if you gave them four or five extra wins that they believe they should have had, they believe they're good enough to have, their season just feels different. You know, there are right. a couple games over 500. There are a couple seeds higher in the standings. They kind of feel like where they should be. Um, but that adds to the disappointment. I think Steve Kerr's had some maybe questionable decisions down the stretch. Should he have called timeout in different spots? Uh, they weren't going to win the title anyways. You know, if, if, if they were, you know, 30 and 25 instead of their current record, they're still probably a first round and out team, but it definitely has added to the disappointment. No, I mean, I definitely hear you, but I think it you know, just warrants for a little further discussion because, you know, Kerr's, that was not, that was never been a hallmark of Kerr's teams. Like, you know, you think back to the, you know, the five-time Western Conference champs, like it seems like, and I don't know if it's, the, you know, the cumulative injuries and guys just kind of, drifting or allow themselves to not retain that level of focus that you need to have if you're going to be, you know, five times the NBA champion, uh, five, you know, five times. Is it, you think it's as simple as that? And when, I don't know, when, you know, Clay returns and everything is quote unquote, you know, normal, um, that they'll somehow get past that? Or do you think that this is, are there other issues kind of lurking beneath the surface there? Well, I think it's somewhat of like a you call it kind of a brain drain from the franchise and and the, and the personnel. I mean, you know, we we talked mostly about the stars during the the dynastic run that you're talking about, but you know, Andre Iguodala was usually on the court. Sean Livingston was on the court. David West. It's like those guys aren't making. You know, they're 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 wily veterans who are known for their basketball IQ, and and a lot of those mistakes are are Knicks because they're not going to make those mistakes in this season. You know, Kent Bazemore has been a helpful bench piece, but he leads the NBA uh, in fouls per 36 minutes from perimeter players. I mean, he, he he's just kind of in a hack fest out there. And Kelly Oubre, you know, similar like like highlight player, helpful, um, but mistake prone at times. And you know, they've also shifted to youth. James Wiseman's 19. He makes a lot of mistakes. Jordan Poole, 21. You know, he's in the rotation. And it's just, these just aren't, not only is it that Iguodala and Sean Livingston are gone and you've replaced them with guys who make mistakes, but also Steve Kerr's a young coach. It, it doesn't seem that way, but, and the only thing he knew was coaching smarter veteran players that kind of ran themselves. Yeah. And I think he's learned, and it's not just this season. They went 50 and 50 last season, and there was a lot of similar, uh, you know, issues. And he's had to learn the last couple of seasons that, like, you need a more hands-on approach at times with teams like this because they will make mistakes if you allow them to. They need, you know, he's had to call more plays. I remember in the dynasty days, he just kind of, like, he was very good behind the scenes managing everything. But it was like game starts, just kind of let this team go. You know, they'll get themselves in their own sets. They'll play a flowing style. They won't make mistakes. If a timeout needs to be called, they can sense it just as well as the coach can sense it. And that's just not the type of team he has anymore. And uh, he kind of needs to either A, learn it, or B, maybe this offseason they, you know, use some of their youth and assets to get smart veterans in and, and build a, a similar team to what they previously had. Do you see, uh, speaking of, about Kerr, do you see any kind of evolution in, in his coaching style or philosophy? And, and or do you think he'll be a, a better or is becoming a better coach because he's having to deal with that and, 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 and adapt to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's very open and uh, transparent in his uh, press conferences. And, you know, he'll discuss with, knowing he needs to have like more pick and roll for example that's that's been kind of a big you know he's pretty stubborn with his offensive style and he likes the flowing 
aspect and the, the read and react and Steph Curry off ball stuff where you set pin downs and all this different stuff. And, you know, this young team, that's just not the style that's conducive to them. They kind of need more, you know, high screens and, um, you know, spread floor, just like downhill. You know, I remember early in the season, I don't know how many times Kelly Oubre just run into Steph Curry off the ball. He's just like <laughs> crashing into him. You're like, no, you know, and Draymond's sitting there like, no, that's, you set the pin down there. Like, you know, Iguodala would know he would have to like back screen that. Right. And it's, um, you know, the argument, I know, especially early in the season, like Steve Kerr's like more his argument was like, we need to teach these guys the warrior style, but at the same time he needs to evolve. And I, I think you saw some of that again, like Wiseman's last four games or so they were, I think three of the four were like their highest pick and roll uh, games of the mm -hmm. season. And mm -hmm. he did seem to be tweaking some stuff. Um, but next season will be a big test next season. We can go down the franchise roster of like Bob Myers in the front office this off season. What they do is, is high pressure, Steve Kerr, how he adjusts and, you know, he needs to adjust to his personnel more and he needs to have a good season next season. Obviously Steph Curry, maybe he'll remain in the MVP chase Draymond green. Like everything is building to next season when Clay Thompson returns, they've had two generally disappointing years for a franchise. Usually that leads to a lot of changes, but when, previous to that two years you go to the nba finals five times and win three you have a lot of runway but three straight bad seasons in your first three seasons in this new sparkling san francisco arena will you know really put a lot of pressure on this team you mentioned draymond green and you can't talk about the warriors without talking about draymond he got into a little hot water recently about some comments he made regarding the gender pay gap in sports, saying that women do a disservice to themselves by just complaining about it and that they need to do more behind the scenes. That set off some responses from Megan Rapinoe and other female athletes that they are doing those exact things to illuminate their situation. You're obviously close to Draymond. Can you tell us the latest on what has happened since he made that initial comment? Yeah, you know, he, he's become such a such a voice on a lot of issues and you know he's like even though he still has four seasons left on his deal he's already basically signed at tnt and like during the bubble he was one of their broadcasters and tnt's you know partnered with turner and he's at cnn and i know they've had cnn's literally had him on as like a panelist a few times and he's spoken well about a lot of issues and i know there were a lot of nba players early in the season that really liked what he said about the andre drummond situation um and he um wants to be such a you know medium he'll go on like random podcasts and uh, you know i think he went on like a tech podcast with some really famous um people to talk about all these different issues but the problem is he's so willing to talk and like all of his zoom press conferences are basically like podcasts you know like he goes up there and he's just like oh throw a subject out and i'll riff on it for for 10 minutes and to be honest sometimes he is not maybe either as informed as he should be on it or this just isn't the lane he should be picking to, to have such a um, strong opinion on, but the, he kind of has a strong opinion on almost everything. And this one, uh, you know, he, this is one of the 10 that he picked that he, he kind of put his foot in his mouth, you know, and sometimes I think that's a little hard for him to admit. And then he was like asked to clarify it. And he had like this 10 minute rambling answer, like kind of trying to walk himself out of it, but he had already kind of said the stuff that had fired it up. Um, I think he was wrong in this one. I think he was a little bit ill-informed. Uh, that's rare for Draymond, but it does happen because he's Draymond Green, like I said, and he'll talk about anything and everything. Uh, and he didn't look great. Um, but in general, I do think, and I know talking to you know women's athletes and people around the situation, they think his heart is in the right place. And like what he, you know, he's not speaking out against they shouldn't be paid well. He just didn't speak about it well. He still wants what they want, which is you know better pay. He just should probably take uh, you know he should probably take a, a back seat on this one he just has trouble taking back seats on on any topics really yeah yeah and I, and I think it deserves to be said that I believe totally and agree with you that that I think his heart is in the right place he was just um uh perhaps did not um have complete mastery of the facts on this particular issue with respect to what um women have done and are doing um and yet you know, not seeing the gains that they want to see. So, so I, I totally, totally hear you there. Uh, earlier, we talked, we mentioned Bradley Beal a little bit. So you got a colleague at The Athletic, one David Aldridge. <laughs> uh, and so while laying out all the roster cap situations with the team, uh, has he brought up a situ situation, a scenario where they could acquire Beal in an offseason trade? Yeah, 
I first Beal would have to become available because that was kind of the talk early in the season was, um, you know, Beal might become the next superstar available. Washington's having another terrible season and, and he's coming up on a, on a, uh, you know, he has one season left after this under contract and Washington's in a situation where, you know, proper management, you would think they would want to rebuild right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hasn't become available. Now, if he, if he is this summer, I, the Warriors can get in the bidding because they have James Wiseman, who is, as we talked about, a very, you know, he hasn't, he had a little rough, bit of a rocky rookie season, but he's very intriguing as a prospect, particularly for a rebuilding team. And then they have Minnesota's top three protected pick. Um, and the Wolves currently have the worst record in the NBA, which would give the Warriors a 60% chance of that being the fourth or fifth pick. And we're talking about a five-player draft where, where people think there's five potential franchise changers. So as of us speaking, there's a 60% chance the Warriors will get a crack at uh, a franchise changer. And then when we're talking about a rebuilding package to get a superstar, you can't do much better than James Wiseman and like Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green, something like that. So um, they can get the bidding if they want, but the reality is a superstar has to become available that seems like Bradley Beal would be the next in line, but Washington has shown no inclination and he's shown no inclination to leave Washington. Every quote he gives, it's about like wanting to be like Damian Lillard, wanting to play for every franchise, how much he values loyalty. So to answer your question, um, yeah, I think, I think if Bradley Beal was put on the table and Brad and, and Bradley Beal would have to go, yeah, if I go to the Warriors, like I'll sign an extension because the Warriors wouldn't want to trade that type of package for one right. season of Bradley Beal. It would be like come over, sign up three, four-year uh, extension. Uh, then I definitely think they would have that conversation. It would be tough because that's, that's their bridge to the future is Wiseman in the Minnesota pick. But at the same time, they want to win a title next season, and there's no, uh, there's no argument that Bradley Beal would help them a lot more in that goal than, than two, you know, one second-year player and one rookie. So, um, I would just say this superstars do become available in the NBA and the next one who does the Warriors will be in on the conversation at least. Okay. Okay. Uh, we talked about a guy, uh, but didn't actually ask you about him. Uh, Clay Thompson. What, what, what's his, how's he doing? I mean, he's, he's what, what's having he a great time in life. Um, <laughs> he, he's all, he's like, uh, now his new thing is he goes sailing on out in the Bay area on his, on his new boat that he bought. Um, at one point he kayaked across the water to practice, um, he's exploring all these different new hobbies, apparently. Um, and, you know, he's he's still finding ways to 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 just have a good time, even though he's really in the we're still in the midst of of, of a two season double rehab from a, about the two worst injuries you can have as a basketball player torn ACL right when he's literally at the finish line right before camp. Um, you know, the ACL is in such a good place that you talk to people who are playing uh, pickup basketball with him in Los Angeles. And they're like, he looked awesome. He like he looked really good. He was out there with NBA players, Miles Turner, and like he was the best player on the floor. But tears the Achilles in one of those pickup games, which is you know usually about a year rehab. And you know he's he's advanced to the point where you know he's shooting jumpers, he's running in the pool, he's starting to do more on the court a little bit. Um, but he did he did a press conference with us recently, and you know as competitive as he is, he admitted that look he wants to be ready for opening night next season, but if it's not opening night, maybe it's a couple weeks in the season, maybe it's a month. And he even said, I'm not going to be a 35 minute per night, you know, two way workhorse right away. You're not going to drop him on the team next year. And he's Clay Thompson. He's like, it'll probably be 20 minutes. And maybe I'm playing a little off ball. Maybe I'm coming off the bench early, but at the same time, he said, I can guarantee you, I will get back to that. And, and, and for the warriors, if he can get back to 75% of what he was 80%, I mean, his shots always going to be there. But I would say by like next February, March, then I think they're in a pretty comfortable spot um, because, I mean, you just need him not necessarily at his best, but, but nearing what the best that, that he can possibly be by next year's playoffs. Is, is a wind server across the bay in the contract? That's, that seems like... <laughs> I, it's a great it's a great question uh but he's putting it on social media and, and they haven't stopped him it doesn't seem like so uh, right. i think they're just trying to keep him mentally there because yeah. this is a guy who is obsessed with basketball and they've taken two and i should say they like the yeah, world yeah, has taken two years of his mid prime away and one of the toughest things i think clay's had to deal with mentally is the fact that the that he hurt his acl 
in one of the best games he's ever played in his life. And he yeah. said he was like feeling like he had, he was like realizing the full potential of his powers. It was like game six, Clay. He had thir- I think he had like 35 in the third quarter. And he was about to drag that final series back mm-hmm. to game seven mm-hmm. in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And he was on like, it was one of those streaks where he went like three, three, three. And he, like he had bumped the Warriors up five. And then he goes in for a transition dunk, tears the ACL. We're talking almost two years later, me and you right now. He hasn't played a game since. He has not played an NBA basketball game since. And we're talking yeah. about his age 30 and 31 seasons. Like, that's the middle of a prime of a Hall of Famer that's just been yeah. stripped away. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's sad. Um, but uh, so, so last question I got for you. The Warriors, I'm looking at the stands right now. They are sitting in the 10 spot, which in any other year would be, you know, pack it in. But this year means they got a play-in game. So what what's the – what do you expect as service of, you know, I mean, if the standings were to hold, so, you know, they would, they would, what, they would go to San Antonio, play a game. If they win that, then they would have, what, what, do, you, what do you think is going to happen here? I think they're going to remain in the playing game because if you look at their schedule, it's very soft. They have three more Thunder games. They haven't played the Thunder yet, and the Thunder are like actively trying to lose games. So uh, <laughs> that should be three wins, you would think. Uh, they, they still have the Cavaliers on the schedule. They have, I think, one more Rockets game at home. Uh, their final six games of the season are at home because they had, they, NBA kind of helped them out because they thought they were going to get fans back in the stadium and they're going to, which should help. I think they're going to have about 6,000 fans at their next home game. Um, They have two Memphis games late in the season, both at home, which would give them a chance for, you know, you're looking at the seating. I think Memphis is eight right now. Uh, They still have three more games against the Pelicans, which is the team directly below them. Um, So there's a lot of opportunities out there and and Steph's healthy and Steph's in rhythm. He seems to be healed from his tailbone injury. Um, So I I don't really see a scenario where they fall out at 10. The other question would be, should they even want to be in the playing game? You know, Draymond yeah. Green had a quote recently, like, I'm not getting fired up about no playing game, <laughs> which I understand. Um, I think in general, though, if, if they're in a good rhythm by the time the end of the season, and particularly if they get up to eight, because if you're in the seven, eight, you have uh, two games to win one. If yep. you're in nine, 10, you have to win two straight games. Yep. But they're dangerous, you know. If Steph's on, I mean, you saw him against the Nuggets last night. Yeah. The Nuggets are one of the hottest teams in basketball. Fifty-three points. They're going to usually win that game. Um, so you don't want them in a one-game scenario. And then if you're Utah or Phoenix now sitting at one-two, you don't necessarily want to see them in the first round. You're probably going to beat them, but you still have to stare across and face Steph Curry and Draymond Green in round one compared to like Memphis or or San Antonio or or New Orleans. You would prefer the other teams compared to the Warriors. I could see them making a make it into the first round and then just making it frisky taking a team to six or something like that cool cool well man it was a pleasure having you we, we covered a lot i thank you for your time everybody this is anthony slater uh senior writer covering the golden state warriors for the athletic thanks man yep thanks for having me that was dope <laughs> Special thanks to the Athletics senior writer, Anthony Slater, for joining the one and only Otto. Otto, so here's my question for you. Since you got to run that interview by yourself, you were solo, what was your biggest takeaway there? Uh, This is going to sound like a a geek kind of thing, but I I actually like the fact that Steph Curry is jazzed about being on the Olympic team. You know, he's never been on an Olympic squad. Um, It's two FIBA gold uh, gold medals to to his credit, to his name. But we got hurt in 2016 before Brazil. Uh, obviously wanted to be on the 2020, like, you know, want to be on the 2020 team. It's now going to be a 2021, or maybe they'll still call it a 2021, a 2020 team. But either way, he apparently is hell-bent on getting himself to Tokyo if he, if he, you know, if he can. So I was, I thought that was pretty cool. What is it about international basketball that is just so captivating? You know, you know like we basically get international basketball every day in the NBA, which is how global the game is. But for some reason, man, you you stick teams with like their native countries and I, I can't stop watching. I love watching Olympic basketball. Like I'll watch every single game. I'll wake up early to watch it. I'll stay up late. Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, I think that just um, look, honestly, I think it goes back to the dream team. I think it goes back to, you know, 84 games, like all, all of that. And I think every time somebody steps on the floor, I think they, they have their own little, not so little, you know, dream team moment. I don't care what country they play for. I think they're all thinking about that kind of, that kind of a thing. I, yeah. I, that's what I believe. But, Absolutely. But, so completely off topic, different subject, different person, different team. What are your thoughts on Alex Rodriguez being an NBA owner? 
Well, so here's the thing. I mean, he, so he's by, getting a franchise that, um, number one, has KG, won nothing ever. Has won, has won nothing, uh, which maybe some, some A-Rod haters will say that's, you know, it's, it's on brand. Uh, you know, uh, you know, at least until 2009 with the, with the Yankees. Um, look, you know, how is KG not part of any ownership? I mean, that's just like, that's, I can't wrap my brain part. around that. Like Timberwolves fans were so excited about the possibility of Kevin Garnett being in that ownership group. Yeah. And yeah. instead of getting like one of their own and someone who really wanted that team, yeah. they get Alex Rodriguez, oh, who oh, might that- be, you know, Obviously, very talented baseball player, but might be one of the most disliked players of all time. And and, and they also they don't get J Lo, <laughs> so it's like I was like. Uh, uh. So, so so I have a theory. The only reason that Alex Rodriguez is even in this ownership group is because he's still trying to get out of the shadow of Derek Jeter. Uh, right. I, I will not say anything. Look, as as someone who uh, was once upon a time covered the, covered the Yankees, or or was an editor who was you know with a group of people who covered the Yankees, you will not hear me say anything to the contrary to that point. Um, hey, I'm just saying, it's ironic that Derek Jeter goes down, becomes a member of the ownership group of the Marlins. He runs that team. And then all of a sudden, Alex Rodriguez, who spent his entire career as a, or not his entire career as a Yankee, but his Yankee career in, on third base in the shadow of Derek Jeter, now all of a sudden gets, a, gets an ownership stake in the Timberwolves. Yeah, there's something there. Yeah. There's yeah. something there. Yeah, yeah. But well, the problem is, you know, the Marlins have actually won something. The Timberwolves have never won anything. Well, I mean, hey, that's, you know, maybe they'll will someday, right? <laughs> All right, here's, here, here's a little question for you. The Orlando Magic and the Timberwolves both entered the association in the exact same year. Mm-hmm. The Magic have been to two NBA finals, have mm-hmm. had a handful of, you know, some would say like all-time greats, right? Like Shaq, Dwight Howard when he was in his prime. Yep. The Minnesota Timberwolves have had KG. Who wins an NBA title first, the Timberwolves or the Magic? Uh, so is, is this when they're both in the league together or if the other 28 teams all got, you know, Achilles injuries at the same time? <laughs> like if the Lakers, like, like if the Lakers just weren't allowed to play basketball anymore. Yeah. It, it feels like, so it feels like if, if both franchises were in the NBA finals, like the perfect metaphor would be game, you know, game seven, they'll, they'll reach a game seven, the shot will go up. With you know, oh one on the on the on the clock, and the ball will get stuck between the rim and the, and the backboard, like and like nobody wins. <laughs> like, it'd be, like that's how it feels like that would go down. And it's, you know, I'm right. It's like a Space Jam type moment, right? Where like yeah. Bugs Bunny comes in and just snatches the basketball when it says, "No, nah, we got to go play the Modern Stars because this is over." Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Crazy stuff. Uh, well, I mean, I, I know we, 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 we joke a kid about the Timberwolves and, and I mean, they're kind of a, a butt of a lot of jokes, but, but obviously there was a very serious, uh, uh, incident that went down, you know, in, in, uh, in that city, you know, I, again, um, there was a police shooting in which a 20 year old, uh, was shot to death, um, uh, during, during a traffic stop, um, the police officer pulls out what she thinks is her gun. She says that she believed it was her taser. She fired, she hit the, hit the guy one time, and then he you know, wound up driving away a little bit, but, but he died of his injuries. And in the aftermath of, of all of this, and sad, as tragic as it is, um, this is obviously in, in the shadow, I mean, this happened not 10 miles from where the George Floyd incident happened. That trial is still ongoing. Um, they're, they're wrapping it up in the, in the next couple of days, but you have the Minnesota Timberwolves and and uh, and the Minnesota Twins, uh, and I believe there um, and there was a third team I believe that also did not uh, did not play. They they basically said they were going to um, take a night or two to you know, have a moment to the Minnesota Wild um, take a moment to um, you know on, honor the, the young man or at least recognize um, that that it's you know bigger than bigger than bigger than basketball as as we like to say. I mean, Aaron. I mean, you know, we we've been down this road before. We've had conversations. Um, uh, you know about this thing this type of thing once too often a minute is there any anything you want to add to 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 where we find ourselves again I, I mean it's frustrating Otto that you know we've done this show now for a year and a half 
And within a 10 month span, I think this is the second time that we're having to have a conversation right this like this, right? Yeah. I, it, it's inevitable that sports and the real world will collide at, at some point. Like, you know, it's not all fairy tales and gumdrops getting to talk about sports, getting to work in sports. And there are moments where the, the two do, are on a collision course. And, you know, we, we spoke about this this summer when, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks made a decision as a team to walk out on, I think it was game four, the first round against the Magic, right? Like, like they said, no, we're not playing until something happens, until some kind of a decision is made. And that was a great moment. But now it's time to take those conversations and those steps to the next level, right? Like, like the NBA players as a whole collectively use their voice in that moment to make real change right? Like they got a group of billionaire owners who, you know, probably sided with who the president was at that point to turn their arenas into voting centers so that it would be more accessible to more people to vote in a real amount of time. Now players have an opportunity and I thought the league and I thought teams taking that moment yesterday was good, but postponing one game doesn't do much you know it's not going to move the needle enough now the nba who has the strongest players association has the chance to make some kind of meaningful change and i hope that they take this opportunity to do it because auto kids listen to players fans listen to players they have the world's largest platform because they play a game for a living and you know they bring so many people joy outside of the real world and we all at one point grew up idolizing some kind of superstar. And now I think kids have a real opportunity to idolize those superstars for something outside of just what they can do on the court. Look, I mean, there's no question. I mean, the, the NBA is a, is a game, is a, is a product, let's call it what it is, that is exported to the rest of the world. Um, the rest of the world is, that's, I mean, that's not the only thing the United States is, is exporting. I mean, they, yeah. you, know, you know, the rest of the world sees how we view um, others in our society. They see our gun culture. They see, um, you know, how we, how we as, as citizens in this country interact with people of different races. And all of those things, you know, then get you know, put into one, you know, into one big funnel. And, and yeah, and it becomes an opportunity to have a larger conversation. Um, you know, I, 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 I know all about, you know, the, you know we, we feels like the same cycle. There's a thoughts and prayers moment and then there's an action moment and I'm with you. The, the, the one game, you know, is, is, does not have, or probably, you know, clearly if it's just the one game and that's all, and then everyone just goes back to what they were doing, then obviously, you know, we didn't, we didn't learn here or we didn't, we didn't have a moment that a real teachable moment. I mean, obviously you expect that there will be something else coming down the pike or other things coming down the pike uh, what those are, we, you know, we can't say at this point. I mean, I don't think anybody saw or foresaw um, the way that, as you said, the way that arenas were used for voting uh, within the first 24 or 48 hours after the shooting of, yeah. of James Blake was his name in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which which is the one, the, the game five that the Bucks um, wound wound up sitting sitting out, uh, you know, the, the playoffs. But but so so we don't know what what is ultimately going to happen. You would hope that. You know, and not just the NBA, that, that all, all sports stars or that anybody who has a following, athlete or not, um, you know, use, uses their voice for positive. Otto, here's, here's a perfect capper to that. I was riding in the car yesterday with my girlfriend, and this was unrelated uh, to the shooting that took place in Minneapolis, but she was thumbing through CNN, and it was all the way down to the bottom of the page, and she goes, oh, there was another shooting today. And it was just, at that point, you know, where you have to go all the way down to the page and it becomes an afterthought where it's just, oh, there's a problem in our society where it's become too normalized, where yeah. it's become too seen and we hear about it far too often. And I just don't, I, I, don't, I honestly don't even know how to put it into words. And that's hard for me because usually I'm someone who has words for everything. Yeah, you know? yeah. So. Yeah, you know, I mean, all, all you can really do is, is uh, I mean, and I, I don't want this to come off as, as platitudes, just like you, you hope that, 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 you know, it becomes a real moment where people who have the power 
and, you know, whether it's whether it's a social following or whether it's a vote on the Senate floor to actually do something and say something that's going to make make and mean a difference in the next person's life. And that, I mean, I, you know, hopefully we will get to that point. Well said, my man. Well, we did a lot, man. Close this out. Absolutely. Hey, uh, it would be remiss of us if we didn't mention that this week is the WNBA draft. Before we do a sign off, did you see the new kits that each WNBA team delivered to celebrities and members of their front office and players over the last week? Do you have a favorite? I really like the New York Liberties. I thought their kits were pretty sick. I love the teal color. I love the black. I just thought it looked really good. Yeah. Um, do I have a favorite? Hmm. I've not seen all of them, so I cannot, so I cannot say. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man, let's go ahead and close this one out. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks to, I guess, Anthony Slater, senior writer for The Athletic, for giving us his thoughts on what's going on with the Golden State Warriors. Thanks also to our producer, he is the one and only Daniel Kramer, and our editor, Kristen Woolley. And we would be remiss if we didn't offer a huge thanks to the one and only. His name is Bruce Bernstein. Hey, please check out all of our Pure Hoops Media shows this week. This week on the Mike Wise Show, it's the best of Mike Wise. Remember, he's had guests like Lakers Governor Jeannie Buss, Pelicans head coach Stan the Man Van Gundy, and several other great storytellers over the course of the season. Tuesdays is Full Court Press with Fisher and Kay. Monica McNutt and King McClure are back on Thursdays with Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. And as always, we round things up with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. And as always, Otto and I are back on Wednesdays with Catch and Shoot with all of your latest and greatest NBA news and nuggets. Otto, you got anything else? Hey, man. Well, you know what time it is. Our big hope for this year is that every person on the planet gets the COVID vaccine so we could finally, finally, finally put this pandemic to an end. Uh, But we're not there yet. So protect yourself and others by wearing a mask, washing your hands, and keeping your distance from others. Uh, Don't forget the medical professionals and other frontline workers who are doing their part to keeping us safe. Uh, And as far as the vaccine, uh, like I said earlier, uh, Aaron got part one just the other day. Uh, I'm getting part two next week. So, hey, for Aaron, Berlin, myself, Otto Strong, that's all. See you next week. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.